Yes, sir. So I'm talking to Dr. Noel Crooks. He does a business called Advanced Cardiology Diagnostics. I got it right? Come on, that's it, right? Right, exactly. He's a wonderful cardiologist, a good friend of mine, and actually did some work down there for my, on myself, and I was very pleased with the outcome. Well, mainly it seems as if I'm in good health, but but the whole good. setup was wonderful. So, and the good thing is that you did your screening, uh, which is what we recommend. So that's right. excellent. Excellent. Good. So, and this is partially what I wanted to just talk to you about. And sure. but before we jump into that, I just wanted to hear. I really just genuinely, not for this only, how you feel about how we're doing with COVID, just generally, and as it pertains to your area. Uh, there are some issues that you know keep popping up at my office anyway I get asked about but specifically the numbers and anything you think we've done right wrong anything at all any of your views at all as it pertains right. to COVID now and in the past yes so I think that um we still in you know as a country I don't think our response was the best um in the initial stages you know we we were kind of overwhelmed as a a society and you know from the hospital perspective as well in terms of you know patients that you know flooded our gates um we had a good opportunity and a gap to you know kind of slow the trend with vaccination uh, but you know as a country we didn't you know i think um respond as well as we should have but nevertheless i think that you know as a as a country we did bond together and as physicians as well and in the medical community we did the best we could with the limited resources we could so all in all, you know, now that, you know, the worst is hopefully behind us, we can look back and kind of assess the whole response. Now, um, I think that initially, yes, we were, we saw a lot of cases. We were, you know, the health system was stretched to the limits for sure. Now we're kind of in a situation that we can, you know, look back and we have to brace for the long-term effects of COVID. Because unfortunately, as a nation, we didn't, um, you know, achieve our vaccine targets. Um, we were still way below our threshold. So we have to be on the lookout now for the long-term targets. So all in all, I think that, you know, we, we did do our best under the circumstances, but we could have done better in terms of, you know, the uptake of vaccines. But now, now I think we have to just, you know, kind of deal with the hand that we're dealt um, and be prepared um, because this is something that we were initially learning on the go in terms of, you know, what COVID was, what it does to the heart. And now we have to kind of be in, in um, you know, defense mode and look for the long-term effects. Right. So I, I echo those sentiments exactly, you know, Teddy. I, I really, and I was just telling somebody and being facetious, but uh, somewhat, I think it's a, a fair point that some of the spend in terms of the marketing, and it's not being negative right. to the government. It's, uh, that spend could have, quite frankly, gone to the physicians and the other <laughs> medical people, you know? No, I mean, looking at it, no. I mean, yes, yes. I know, because, boy, there is, um, you know, there a lot, I, I think they tried, I know, but there was some level of mistrust, you know, in the, in the, in the community. They did try with brochures, you know, reaching out, but for sure, we could have used a lot more of that on the front lines fighting this for sure. So I agree to some extent or whole lot to do. Yes, it's just one of those things that he that I don't think anybody would have known. So that is pleasure. yeah that's that's really a fair point. What what I get asked a lot about and some of which pertains to your area, which I don't know if you kind of shed some light on as it pertains to since we just mentioned a little bit about the vaccines. 
I've got some patients who get the, the tachycardia uh, shortly after, and uh, not necessarily uh, as I, my little research led me. On the, the, it seems as if it was more the juveniles or more the younger population, but as, as I, I even saw it in some adults, some some amount of pericard. Um, I think it's pericard that they speak to. So I was just wondering. And they'd get this tachycardia after their vaccination and be saying, what gives with this and what do I do and how long will it last? And I said, well, the information that I received, well, you can correct me, is that, you know, basically will resolve by itself and we're not overly worried about. So I was wondering what your thoughts. Is that, a, is, is that fair to say and what, what you... So I think that, um, you know, yes, you're, you're absolutely correct in that. The, I think the number one presentation you know, among patients post-COVID was actually, you know, palpitations. We've seen, a, I'd say, about a 40 to 60% rise in, you know, referrals or, you know, patients seeking help for palpitations or tachycardia, as I said. Right. Now, um, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, we, we see cases related both to the, the majority are definitely related to cases of, COVID, um, you know, recovered cases, as well as, um, you know, very few related to vaccine issues as well. But the vast majority are, you know, in what we see in, 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 you know, in the recovering COVID patients. And the, the, the tachycardia, as we see, can, can actually be quite wide and varied. Um, so there are different aspects, you know, to the whole, uh, to, to, to the way in which COVID can affect the heart. And one, you know, the the broad groups to define it into is rhythm problems of the heart, muscular problems of the heart, and then finally circulatory problems of the heart. So the first one in which you mentioned, which is the you know the rhythm problems of the heart, we can see you know arrhythmias or irregular heartbeats occurring, um, basically representing the full gamut of arrhythmias that we see in medical practice. You can have simple what's called sinus you know, tachycardia, which is just due to a regular speeding up of the, the heart rate, or you can actually see irregular heart rhythms. Um, and some of those irregular rhythms you see are, are um, arising from the upper chamber of the heart called supraventricular you know, complexes or tachycardia, or from the lower section of the heart called ventricular tachycardia. And we make the distinction most of the time by doing a simple ECG. So it's one of the thing I, things I recommend in patients, you know, that are either recovered, after, you know, feeling, you know, not their usual selves afterwards or, you know, just to get a regular checkup afterwards, look for these simple things that can be picked up on simple tests. Um, some of the times, you know, the ECGs are pretty much a short, a very short test. It tells you what's happening in about probably 10 to 12 seconds of your life. There are longer monitors that we can use, such as a Holter monitor, to pick up irregular heartbeats. But the, the first screening test we'd recommend is a you know a baseline ECG to look at the rhythm of the heart. And if the you know the, the, the complaints are you know they are not so common or happening frequently, then we actually put on a monitor, a heart monitor for 24 hours to detect these irregular beats. So the irregular beats can be you know something that is considered more of a nuisance and not life-threatening to actual life-threatening, you know, arrhythmias or irregular heartbeats. So, you know, we definitely recommend assessment and monitoring, but the, 
the, the virus itself and the remnants of the virus or the immune response to the virus can actually take any one of these forms and of irregular heartbeats. So we basically, due to the stage we're at, we won't really know the long standing effects because I get, that's another question I get followed up after. Yeah. Invariably, the ones I've gotten, I must admit, I, I, don't, I haven't even referred to you because after a while it all stops. Correct. So, so some, most of them are self-limiting, but you're correct. And I mean, we, we, we kind of, you know, are, are learning on the go when it comes to managing, you know, the long-term effects. It's, it's still a little early. There are, there are a lot of institutions, you know, overseas that have adopted, you know, post or long COVID clinics, which are actually studying the long-term effects of COVID on different actors on the body and especially the heart. But yes, some of them do respond, you know, some of them do resolve, you know, spontaneously. So you're quite right in, you know, you know, just observing some and observing. We see them resolving within days to four to six weeks. But there are some that actually do persist um, and require special treatment with medications. Um, you know, so it, it's it's difficult to say. There are some some markers we use in terms of cardiac biomarkers which estimate the extent of heart involvement. So if you want to make you know, a, a kind of educated guess about who will resolve and who won't resolve, there are certain you know, blood tests we can do, certain you know, ultrasounds we can do to look for cardiac involvement in which you can then you know, make a, a, you know, an educated guess of, in terms of the timing or the length or duration of these. But in the absence of any you know, objective cardiac involvement, you know, no cardiac biomarkers being elevated, you know, no ultrasound or MRI evidence of cardiac damage. Most of them resolve spontaneously. But when you do have elevation in you know, cardiac biomarkers or structural injury damage, those are the ones that tend to last longer. So I would say, in, you know, at the initial outset, you know, if there are no red flags, like I just mentioned, you know, you can reassure most of them resolve, but any indication of any red flags, you know, in the form of, you know, cardiac biomarkers, signs of, you know, heart failure, shortness of breath, you know, persistent chest pain, leg swelling, those are the ones that should require further evaluation and possibly further testing, because those are the ones that may go on to, you know, have long-term effects and long-standing arrhythmias, which can potentially be, you know, uh, can potentially cause injury. And so the question becomes, have you seen anybody like that? Or a yes, few? For sure, or, for sure. or a, so, or... I mean, I, I think that, you know, mm -hmm. the, 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 you know, the number one, I think, you know, presenting complaint, you know, post this has been, been palpitations and arrhythmias. And we've seen, we've seen them, you know, initially, unfortunately, when the, you know, we're just kind of understanding about COVID, there was a, one of the popular drugs being proposed. Um, that, that were used to treat COVID, which are actually worse than arrhythmias. So early in the onset of COVID, we were seeing, you know, more florid presentations. And then as, you know, research came out that this drug was no longer helpful, we're seeing less and less of those arrhythmias, especially in the hospital setting. But for sure, we're seeing, we're seeing arrhythmias which are, which are long-lasting and persistent. I've seen a couple that I have to, I've had to use medical management to suppress them. Um, and I've seen a couple that we've, you know, done, you know, cardiac MRIs and, and there, there have been sites or foci of injury or inflammation. And those are the sites that potentiate irregular heartbeats or arrhythmias. So, yes, I would say that, you know, we have seen some longstanding effects, even in, in the, you know, the one to two years post-COVID. 
which we expect will be things that we have to manage long term. Gotcha. Well, that, that's really that's fascinating. I never realized that you, you guys are actually seeing them because I suppose the patients I see. Right. But along this line, uh, I just want—I know we don't have a lot of time, so if you don't mind, I just shift a little gear here and just ask sure. you, no as it pertains to. So not directly your area, but blood clotting and the vaccine and all of that. Right. Your what is uh, maybe not only yours, but the cardiologist's viewpoint. I mean, I, I tell my patients something, but I, I would really love to hear what uh, what what uh, what are your 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 views on it? As it as it I mean, so it's it's a it's a challenging question because um you know there. Are, there are certain aspects of COVID which require, you know, a different, a different, you know, kind of mindset towards. So, you know, acute, severe, you know, infections do require, you know, anticoagulation because of the enhanced, you know, coagulable state of, you know, the whole inflammatory cascade that follows an acute, severe reaction. Um, for the mild, mild um, cases, you know, we recommend, you know, supportive care without anticoagulation, but as far as the vaccine is concerned, we've seen, you know, why, why, you know, it became an issue is because we're having kind of vaccine-mediated effects, particularly with um, certain vaccines that were definitely causing, or not causing, but enhanced, you know, clotting in people that, you know, were susceptible to it. So in all of the vaccines that were available, you know, there were a few cases of clotting abnormalities. There were a few cases of, Know, cardiac damage, and there were a few cases of, you know, uh, myocarditis and heart failure arising from that, from, from, from the vaccines, but they, those were kind of in the minority. And, you know, though the, in people that had a enhanced or, a, you know, a high clinical probability of clotting in the first place, or, you know, had underlying disorders, we were seeing that there was a little bit more common in those people. But I would say that, you know, it, 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 it kind of depends on the situation. Um, and when we were recommending the vaccine, we did, you know, recommend it, you know, wholeheartedly to the vast majority of people who did not have these, you know, underlying problems. But yes, it's a, it's a real phenomenon that does occur. It occurs most commonly in the, you know, in the acutely infected people. But yes, it does, you know, can sometimes occur with the vaccine as well. But I think it's a case-by-case basis to look at, which is why, you know, I think the vast majority of people were you know it was still recommended for. Um, did you did you perceive any hesitancy as the majority of us in terms of people with uptake of the vaccine? Yeah, so, yeah. it's so many, so many, and right. it really yeah. it I really uh, somewhat you know disappointed <laughs> quite frankly, right. and right. I wonder if the approach that is the medical people we were wrong in how we were presenting information. I tell you, you know, Teddy, I was very, I'm very impressed with the whole, with COVID and based on our training, I'm very impressed with vaccination and vaccination works. Mm-hmm. I tell people this one will work and right. vaccines work, this one will work and we're going to create some more in the future. Those will work too. Right. right. When I see people, which I don't, I don't bear into it too much, but like, you know, I've stuck and then uh, when I hear that anesthetist viewpoint and people just dropping well, you work in hospital too, although I'm not a hospital yeah. physician anymore. 
It's hard. a very, it's a very impressive, heartbreaking, heartrending. It's, it's. Yeah, but I remember. I think I remember earlier in the pandemic, calling you as well, asking you about where to get vaccines as right. well, and the yeah. people just seek it out, you know, and then there was just this lag afterwards, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. So people it, just kind of dropped, you know. Yeah, it, it's really that 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 hesitancy is real, and I was wondering if we yeah. created that based on because I remember myself, I, I just couldn't believe nobody would take it. I just. The whole social media thing and it, it really mm-hmm. it's an interesting yes. study. I, I don't know if we have learned from it. I know I, I really don't touch the topic anymore much. I kind of don't right. sort of hide from it. But when they pin me down, I tell them a view, but I try not to be, come across too heavy and I do my best. I say, Well, I got it. Which one did you right, get? Right. Well, I say, well, really and truly, you know, it's only one <laughs> was available at the time. And right. I always yes, say, yes, I, I tell people, I say, I go ahead and take it off the plane. You know, yeah. say, you know tell people that as a joke, but I say, really yes, and truly, because yes. I'm so impressed with the thing. And, right. you know, as a family doctor, I live in Coffin Cole, and so people cough on yes. the daily. So it's just kind right. of like a, a very real impressive thing and, and still a little bit astounding to me, but, you know, we just have to move so on. Even with telling people that you got it, I mean, from the medical fraternity, there was still a lot of hesitancy, though, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, I sure. when yeah. I actually asked you about the what you views with the blood cutting, which I don't know if I was too exuberant with my views, mm-hmm. but I had a nurse who had a DVT in the past. She was a nurse. Yes. And this is my patient, my long-standing patient, and she said, Should she get the vaccine? And at that time, yes. the information was that really and truly. That when they compare the amount of people that get DVTs, or this is blood clotting in the legs, anybody, right? Mm-hmm. And, you, and you compare it to the people that get with the vaccines, are wrong. It's actually, you, you, you I, I think it's the information is comparable or something like that. So, based right. on that, mm-hmm. you know, it's really does it's not a statistically significant increase. Right, right, that. right. So I said, well, so it goes, it's back to you now and how you feel about it. Right, um, right. So therefore, if it were me, I would probably take it, but that's me. So I took it back to her and she right. said, that's all she wanted. No, she took her vaccine and she's all right, no problem. Uh, you know, but uh, again, that, that, that was a And time. I think as well, some of the issues as well were the, the type that we got initially. And there yeah. was initially some, you know, bad press around, in, you know, clots about the one that was available at the time. Yeah. Um, but I think I, as well, you have to look at, you know, the, 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 the studies and the, you know, the incidences of clots. And they were so small compared to, you know, the vast majority that got it, you know. Yeah. I think if I remember, it was, you know, less than, I think, 2 or 1%. So it was extremely small. But, yeah. I, you know, I think people would still, you know, you know, one, you know, bad outcomes, people still focus on that, unfortunately. And, you know, it casts a little shadow over what we're trying to accomplish, you know? Exactly. This is another question that, you know, everybody, boy, I tell you, everybody turned doctor on me, they come and ask me all these things. <laughs> but right. the, because the, the ACE2 re- receptor, mm-hmm. and uh, I had some patients hypertensive on ACEs, and they were going crazy. They went down that road with me. Right, the, right, and so I want to hear from you. Which I never, I, I meant to ask you this, 
you know, right. not that, but since I just uh, I just remembered it since we we're talking. What is your viewpoint right. on that? Like, do you stop your aces? Do you, you know, what? no, not at all. So yeah. there was, you know, in, in initially some concern, and yes, some people did approach us as well because you know, on our on our kind of hierarchy of meds we use, the ARBs or ACE inhibitors or ACE shutter blockers are pretty high on our, you know, initial initiating medications, you know, mm-hmm. probably the first or second one in which we initiate. So, yeah, we have a vast, a wide amount of, you know, wide variety of people that were taking it. And um, no, we didn't stop it. You know, there was no incidence of any, you know, adverse outcomes in people with, you know, using ACE or ARBs. So, mm-hmm. you know, yes, it was, you know, the, the, um, you know, virus you know, affected that at a cellular level, but we didn't see or you know from the the studies any adverse outcomes in people that were on those medications. So we didn't stop it. We just use it with caution going through looking. You know, because we're learning as we're going, unfortunately. So yeah. we definitely have to look out for you know complications um, you know associated with that. So we kind of watch them a little closer. But no, it didn't stop them, and you know, unless there was another indication in you know like hypotension or something else, but. Not, not just because of that. Yeah, you know, it, it, as I say, it's a tough one. I said, uh, and to that question, I'm glad you answered that because I, I tell people there is no information that I have seen that right. says you need to stop this. So until something correct, comes correct, to light correct. that is, you know, we use these things as <laughs> right. studies and then I have to go through that. And I said, but... well, and, you know, we have much brighter people than me that are looking at this thing in a very, very deep and concerned mm-hmm. way and and so it 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 was. It, and I think your your peers, you have you have uh, some well educated and well read. Well, you know what I'm to them now. <laughs> it, it really it's 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 social media is yes. the good and bad of it. You know it's mm-hmm. it's it's quite good. And mm-hmm. like for example, this wonderful conversation, I hope to post in some. I don't know what yet. But then mm-hmm. again, you have some people that need or desire attention and that are yeah. highlighting <laughs> some very, some minutia. And then yes. because they've read the thing so much, which some of it is accurate, I said, yes, mm. that is true. But, and then you don't get to finish the but. It's like, mm. see, that is it. You said it's true. Yes, It's really, so they, they command. It's a, it's a very interesting, it's an interesting time we're in. It's an interesting challenge being a physician. Definitely. And yeah. I think the important thing is that we, you know, we, we reassure and we kind of, you know, stamp out any myths associated with it as well. So I'm pretty clear when I tell them, you know, there's no evidence of, you know, worsening of COVID with these drugs or anything. So, you know, go ahead and take hypertension meds. So you have to be very, you know, confident in telling them, although you use a small caveat that, hey, Things may change as we go along as studies come out, but at uh-huh. this point in time, there's absolutely no evidence that you need to stop your ACE or ARBs, you know, when acutely infected or after. All right. Well, I notice, uh, I think we're running out of time here. So I just want to ask you one further question here, which sure. I can answer in any way. It's regarding, you mentioned hypertension. I get asked this still daily. What are the yes. numbers you're supposed to shoot for? And I know it depends, but I want to hear your exact uh, viewpoint on that. For example, the as we're trained on this JNC, um, I remember this, uh, the JNC. Yeah, which changes as we go along, unfortunately. Right. Oh, yes. 
and then you have, so you have it's a range and it, numbers and age and various other factors right so the absolute numbers though what right. uh, what numbers you know do do you tell people and what should we shoot for ideally Right. So, um, you know, normal blood pressure is usually defined as a systolic, you know, less than 120 over 80. Yeah. Um, what I think has changed over the years now, since, you know, I think we're in medical school until now, and mm-hmm. not to age ourselves, but, you know, we used to, um, you know, use up, you know, higher levels than normal. So in the revised criteria, which, you know, brings down the, you know, the absolute values, we're, we're seeing that we now call elevated blood pressure above 129. Right. right. And um, so any systolic blood pressure above 129 is considered elevated and yes. any diastolic blood pressure greater than 80 is considered elevated blood pressure. Right. And we normally use two stages, stage one and stage two. Um, stage one hypertension is defined as a systolic blood pressure of 130 to 139. Gotcha. Now, back, I think, in our day, hypertension was 140 over 90. Right. So they have reduced the thresholds now to 130 as being stage one. 130 over 80 is considered stage one. And stage two is now 140 over 90, which used to be back in our day hypertension. Gotcha. So they, the whole purpose of differentiating that is that we're seeing people with stage one, which is 130 to 139, who would normally leave alone. They are going on to develop long-standing problems, you know, hypertensive heart disease and, you know, increase predisposition to you know heart attack strokes etc so we can't leave those people alone unfortunately again we have to intervene um now the there's a common perception that here the older you get you know your letter blood pressure go high and we kind of try to avoid you know you know spreading that um that concept um because absolute blood pressure and absolute blood pressure control is what we aim for a matter of fact, the older you get, you're more predisposed to these complications of hypertension. So we still try and aim for absolute values, you know, regardless of age. The impression that I have that as you age, there seems to be an allowance for an increase. Is that fair? Or yeah, I mean, you do have, you know, some hardening of the arteries. So, um, you know, there is, you know, inherently... Um, less compliance in your blood vessels, etc. But we still try and aim for, you know, our, our target blood pressure controls as defined by, you know, stage one and stage two. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody with hypertension needs to get, you know, must be on medications. So for sure, your stage one or your stage two that are just diagnosed, newly diagnosed, you try an aggressive, you know, lifestyle and dietary modification. You start speaking to them, you know, about, you know, salt reduction. You know, aiming for less than five grams per day. We've been very scientific with them. Uh, you know, getting proper diet, dietary advice, you know, lifestyle advice, you know, activity, exercise, etc. So not everybody, you know, needs medication initially. You know, but definitely they should be labeled and followed as such um, with aggressive lifestyle and dietary modification. And after you know a two to three month, or even sometimes up to four months of trials and you know, if they're still unable to meet their targets, then you you talk about introducing pharmacotherapy. What is very important that, you know, we, we aim for the absolute values. And the follow-up I would have to that is, the, do you define exercise in any particular way, aerobic, non-aerobic, weight training, any right, amount right. So, of that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah definitely. So we, we, it's, it, it's aerobic. 
um, you know, the, the anaerobic, you know, the weights, etc., is good for toning. It's good for, you know, uh, muscular tone and to help with, you know, um, cardio as well and to avoid you know, injury to some extent. But cardio is really what we need in the in, in the cardiovascular, you know, sphere, um, which is aerobic exercise. Um, you know, anything from 30 to 45 minutes, at least three to four times a week is what we'd recommend. Um, and, you know, when you're exercising, we're trying to, you know, depending on your stage in life, you know, we're aiming for some brisk activity, you know, to get your heart rate up, you know, above, you know, 25, 50% above baseline, but just to get a good sweat going. So at least 30 minutes, in third, 45 minutes, at least three to four times a week. Sure. Well, sir, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I think we're yes. out of time here and no, man, I'm happy a little later. <laughs> no, man, no problem. It's, you know, it's an interesting time, so, you know, so we're happy to address further issues if we have in the future. Right, yes. To shed some light on certain things. Yes, and boys, yes, and keep up the good work in what you're doing and getting the word out there. There can never be enough of, you know, um, you know, I think initiatives like this to keep the, the truth out there and dispel the myths. Yeah, that is exactly it.